Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Come Follow Me, A Disciple's Journey. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing Alma chapters 8 through 12. So, uh, this week, I ha- I've, I've, I've mentioned this in the past, my goal is to keep this uh, 60 minutes, so I'm going to shoot for it again. I've kind of, I'm going to try to take kind of a little different approach so that I can do that. Um, to start this week, I want to just point out a few themes from these chapters, the over, uh, overall, some overall themes from all of the chapters as we read through them. So, and I'll mention this later, but it's something too important to keep in mind is as you read these chapters is that chapter 13 of Alma also is very closely related to these chapters. So in Alma 8 through 12, Alma is, uh, for the most part, except for the very beginning of chapter 8, he's in Ammonihah and uh, discussing with the people there their sins and calling them to repentance and teaching them the plan of salvation. Um, and that goes into chapter 13. This week, like I said, we're only studying and Come Follow Me, chapters 8 through 12. Um, and so some of the themes... Uh, of the plan of salvation and things definitely spill over into chapter 13 though. So I'll, I will be actually discussing just briefly some of those things from chapter 13 this week. But, uh, one of the things that stands out to me the most is Alma and Amulek's teaching of the plan of salvation in general. They both do it. Um, and so not only their teaching of it that stands out to me, but the effect that it has, especially on Zeezrom and, it got me thinking about the plan of salvation and the effect that it should have on us and the effect that it can have on those who are looking for the truth. So in this last conference, April 2020, President Oak's address called The Great Plan, He this is how he closes. This is the last kind of paragraph of his talk. He says, in conclusion, I share the conviction that has come to me from many letters and by reviewing many qu- requests to return to the church After name removal or apostasy, many of our members do not fully understand this plan of salvation, which answers the most, which answers most questions about doctrine and inspired policies of the restored church. We who know God's plan and who have covenanted to participate have a clear responsibility to teach the truths and to do all that we can do to further them for others and in our own circumstances in in mortality. So that. When he said that in conference, it stood out to me because what I heard him say is that members of the church, many members of the church, don't fully understand the plan of salvation, uh, of the great plan, as he called it in his talk. Um, And the plan of redemption is one of the names that Alma most frequently uses in these chapters. The members don't understand it the the way that we should. And by understanding it, a lot of our questions, a lot of questions would be answered. And, uh, and so as I thought about that and that thought came to me as I was studying this week, uh, I could, you can see the effect that teaching the plan of salvation had on Zeezrom. And it does say that many people believed, uh, and were baptized in Ammonihah. The most, the majority of the people weren't, but it does say that many were. And so that come, that came from just Alma and Amulek's teaching of the plan of salvation. And so I wanted to start with that. And then I also wanted to point out and come follow me this week. Um, there's a section that says, it says Alma 11 through 12, God's plan is a plan of redemption. This is from uh, come follow me for individuals and families. 
And then it lists these different uh, topics related to the plan of salvation. Uh, and it says it suggests writing down things that you can learn from Almil and Amulek about these things. And I wanted to go over those at the start so that as we are going through, we can you can kind of see those. So the fall, the redeemer, repentance, death, the resurrection, and judgment. So you've got the fall of Adam and Eve. You've got uh, even talking about Adam and Eve, a brief mention of uh, the creation and the atonement and repentance, death, resurrection, judgment. So it's the plan of salvation. And even if we... Uh, if we go into chapter 13, it also mentions the pre-mortal life. And so if you throw that in there, that is like the entirety of the plan of salvation in terms of you open up, I, I like to refer to, to preach my gospel. If you open up chapter three of preach my gospel and you go uh, to the lessons in that chapter, one of the lessons is called the plan of salvation. And you've got pre-existence, you've got the creation, you've got the fall of Adam and Eve, you've got the the gospel and the atonement of Christ and his sacrifice, which also includes, the, like I said, the gospel and repentance, uh, death, resurrection, judgment, and the three degrees of glory. That's like the only thing that Alman Amulek don't really mention that is in that chapter. But everything else, yeah, they it's like a fully comprehensive overview of the plan of salvation in these chapters. And like I said, the reason that stood out, stands out to me and it rings as important is because you, we can see the effect of teaching the plan of salvation. What did it do to the people? It made them want to change. It made that, that truth and these truths really um, made them want to change, made them want to repent and be baptized and make covenants. It changed Zeezrom and as we'll get into the chapters here, it changes Zeezrom from someone who is a significant antagonist into someone who uh, like almost immediately changes to uh, a sincere seeker of truth. And so uh, I wanted to point that out. Okay. So that's a theme. And as you study this week, look for the plan of salvation because it's all over the place. Second thing is uh, also from come follow me. This, this is from the, uh, introduction basically of this week's come follow me it says god's work will not fail but our effort but our efforts to help his with his work sometimes seem to fail at least we may not immediately see the outcomes we hope for at times we might feel a little like alma when he preached the gospel in ammonihah rejected spit upon and cast out yet when an angel instructed him to go back and try again alma courageously returned speedily and the the concept that i get out of this and so from that that introduction is that the lord supports us in all that we do, even when it seems like we're failing, even when we feel cast out and spit upon. And so I wanted to tell a couple of stories uh, from my own experiences, both from my t- time as a uh, full-time missionary. So uh, the first comes from, uh, pretty late in my mission. I had about six months left and I was serving as a zone leader with a companion who I had known from the very beginning of my mission. We went to, we were in the MTC together and we'd become really good friends throughout our mission. And so it was just, it was an awesome companionship. We, I felt like 
we were very i i felt like we were very diligent i felt like we were obedient and in terms of keeping mission rules and uh we were doing i felt like what the lord wanted us to do we were in a great area with a great ward and we were seeing zero success we it was like we would walk down a pathway and i say like figuratively with some investigators people learning about the church and we would get our start to get our hopes up that this person was like going to progress and then we would just slam into a wall we had a, we actually had a conversation one time about how it felt like every day we were walking out and just pounding our head against wall, a wall a brick wall that's what it felt like like we were and we were doing nothing and we and we but we persisted right and um one night we came home and it just been like a hard day you know, it started out, we were there, we were in the Midwest in the United States in the summer, and it gets, you know, it would be mid-90s with 90% humidity, and so it's really hot. So it started out that way, and then oftentimes in the evening, there would be these thunderstorms that would come up, and so it started out really hot, so we're out sweating and just hard day, and then this thunderstorm comes up on us, and we weren't able to get back to our apartment in time, and so we just poured on us and so uh you know we go from really hot to just soaking wet like dripping wet so we come in and we plan for our next day but we're just like i I was just i remember being just so frustrated and i went and i sat down at my study desk and i had a pen in my hand and i didn't know that the pen was extended right i thought it was i i thought it was clicked in and i went and folded my arms and bowed my head as i'm sitting at my desk and as I fold my arms, my pen is in my hand. And just, you know, as a doofus, I just draw an ink line, like, all up my shirt. And so I'm just, it's like, just like one little more thing to added to the day, to the week, to the transfer. Just nothing going right. And I'm just so fed up. And I just prayed. And I don't remember the exact prayer, but I remember, you know, the, the gist of it was just, send me some relief. Like, I feel like we're doing what, what we can here. And... I flipped over my scriptures, and the first verse that I flipped open to, uh, which is where I had uh, stopped reading that morning, uh, was in Alma chapter 17, and it says, And it came to pass that the Lord did visit them with his spirit and said unto them, Be comforted. And they were comforted. And when I read those words, the spirit penetrated me in a way that I will always remember with a deep, peace and calmness. And in that moment, the Lord let me know that he heard my cries. He knew our efforts and my effort and that he approved of our effort. And now did things just suddenly get better? No, but that's the the beautiful thing is verse 11 says, you're going to go, this is to, this, by the way, this is to Ammon and his brethren, the sons of Mosiah, as they're going out on their missions to the uh, Lamanites. And the Lord says, Go forth among the Lamanites, thy brother, and establish my word. Yet ye shall be patient in long suffering and afflictions, that ye may show forth good examples unto them in me. So, what I f- felt in that moment was that the pains that we were experiencing and the hardships and just this, the frustrations were going to pay off. Because as long as we were diligent and faithful and obedient, 
our good examples would show to, to other people. And as we, so I share that story in relation to Alma chapter eight and these chapters from this week, because life can be like that. Sometimes life can feel like just banging your head against a brick wall. But as long as we're obedient, we can find peace and happiness. So in chapter eight, Alma goes first to Melech and he has success there. Well, I'm going to come back to that in a second. I'm, I'm going to focus on where I was. for. So jumping ahead in chapter eight, there are a few things earlier on in the chapter I'm going to come back to, but jumping ahead to where he's rejected and kicked out of Ammonihah and he is weighed down with sorrow. First thing I want to point out there, it's okay in those times in life that are hard to be weighed down with sorrow. Alma is a, is a great man. He's a great prophet. Nephi also felt this, right? He, oh, wretched man that I am. It's okay to get down. If you feel depressed and uh, weighed down with sorrow, welcome, welcome to mortality, right? And it's especially okay to feel that way when we're going through those times, those ups and downs. And when we're in a down, the Lord does not expect us to always just feel excessive happiness. Now, there's opposition in all things for a reason, and it's perfectly normal to to be weighed down with sorrow. But as long as we are righteous and as long as we are obedient and penitent and doing our best, the Lord will comfort us. And so as Alma's journeying, an angel appears to him and says, what? Blessed art thou, Alma. Therefore, lift up thy head and rejoice, for thou hast great cause to rejoice. For thou hast been faithful in keeping the commandments of God from the time which thou receivest them, uh, thy first message from him. Behold, I am he that delivered unto you. So the angel says, you are blessed. Why? Because you've kept the commandments. And this is similar to a scripture uh, in Ether chapter 12, where the Lord is speaking to Moroni, who's also weighed down. His people, he's seen his people destroyed. He's now, he's now writing down the story of the Jaredite nation, and he's seeing how terrible they were, and he's just, just garbage everywhere he's seen. It's just depressing everywhere. And he's saying, and he, earlier on in the chapter, he he says, "I I can't even convey correctly because I can't even write properly, and people are going to make fun of me." But the Lord says, "And it came to pass, the Lord said unto me, If they have not charity, it mattereth not unto thee. Thou hast been faithful; wherefore thy garments shall be made clean." And that's the thing that we can control. We can control if our garments are made clean. We can control our obedience. And so, as we as you study, and as I studied, chapter eight through twelve, and knowing the story moving forward, right, into 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, knowing what's coming for Alma and Amulek, that there's going to be more tribulation, but that there is success waiting on the other end and joy. What I got from this was that the Lord doesn't stop bad times from happening, but he supports us through those bad times. And he uses us and he refines us that so that as we are obedient, especially in hard times, we can show forth our example to those around us. I wanted to share one more story from my mission, and then I, I will get into the chapters. And like I said, I, I'm going to kind of try to do things a little differently so that we can go through them uh, in an hour and not over an hour. But I'll do my best. So 
uh, earlier on in my mission, I had had a similar type of experience when I, it's, and this is when I realized that joy can be found even in the hard times. So again, feeling sorrow, feeling weighed down, that's perfectly normal and fine. Everyone feels it. Uh, you don't have to pretend like everything is just peachy when it's not, right? But uh, as Elder Holland has said, that the spirit of the gospel is optimistic. So we can still be optimistic even in those times. And when I learned that, and when I l- learned that happiness is not dependent upon what happens in a day, but upon my faithfulness and obedience. So like I said, it was earlier on in my mission. I'd been out about, I don't know, 14 months or so, years, maybe a year, I don't know. And uh, my companion and I uh, lived in an apartment and there was a flood uh, in the, the apartment above us. Their sink had gotten backed up, ended up flooding and coming down into our kitchen. And it flooded all over our sink and into our pantry and cupboards and cabinets and everything. And anything that wasn't sealed tight, any of our food, was ruined. And we had a couple weeks left in the transfer. So, but we now we had to go buy all new food. We had to pool it. So we pooled our money together, went and bought food. And it was like, you know, the stories here on your mission were like all, literally, literally all it was, I think, was top ramen and mac and cheese is like all we could get. And it had to last us, I think it was like just barely over two weeks is what had to last us. So that's not the part. Okay, so that's the setup, right? A few days later, we'd come out back and I think we came back for lunch and we're eating our awesome meal of mac and cheese or whatever. And I just realized, you know, we're we're laughing and joking with each other and we're just excited about the work, we're loving the companionship, things were just good, and it hit me like, this is so funny. And so I looked up on my, to find out how much money I had, or so I had to call, I had to make a phone call then to the bank to see what was on my mission-loaded card, and it was 67 cents, I remember still today, it was 67 cents, and I I made that call because I wanted to know what that number was, because I don't think I'd ever remembered a happier time in my life up to that point. And I had 67 cents to my name. And I realized that happiness isn't about money or things or food, but it was about that my companion and I were unified and trying to be obedient. And so that's a, that's something that I, we can, you can apply now you and your spouse, you and whoever, you know, if you're, if you're unified with your companion or if you're single, if you're just, to, you're doing your best to live the gospel and be obedient. Hard times still come. The being weighed down with sorrow still comes. But so will peace and happiness that are not the peace of this world. And so I wanted to talk about um, those two kind of things, the, the plan of salvation and the fact that the Lord supports us, supports his people uh, through challenging times. Because for me, that was two main things that I got out of this week's study. Things that I can apply to my everyday life, really. Okay, so now as we jump into chapter the, the chapters here, I'm going to go through these and um, 
I'm going to do my best to convey some things. Uh, these are pretty doctrinally heavy chapters, especially chapters 11 and 12. And then, like I said, moving into next week, chapter 13, pretty doctrinally heavy. Uh, and Alma's a plan of salvation teaching expert. I think you look at chapter 12 and then you look at his discourse to his son in Alma chapters 39 through 42, and we get some of the best discourse in the Book of Mormon about the plan of salvation, especially about the spirit world and about um, the resurrection. And so, it's like I said, it's it, there's a lot of doctrine and there's a lot of cross-references I, that you can do here, but I'm going to try to just point out a few things as we go that uh, excite me and things that I learned from and hope to excite you guys about and get you engaged in, in studying this week's Come Follow Me. So, chapter 8 begins with Alma going back to Zarahemla and resting. I want to point that out because all things with the Lord are done in wisdom and order. Alma knew his his limits. He had just gone from Zarahemla and preaching to the people there to Gideon, which is on the east of the river Sidon. And then he then goes to Melek, which is on the west. And so he has to travel back through Zarahemla to get to Melek. So on his way, he stops at his house, takes some time uh, to rest. So if you feel weighed down and tired, one of the if you've listened to any number of my podcasts, you may have heard me uh, of the episodes. You may have heard me reference a talk by President Uchtdorf called "Of Things That Matter Most." It's one of my all-time favorites. But it's about prioritizing. You combine that with President Oaks. Uh, did I say President is Elder Uchtdorf that gave "Of Things That Matter Most," and President Oaks that gave "Good, Better, Best." You kind of combine those things together, and you get this clear picture that prioritization is important taking a step back from things that you don't have time for or energy for is a good thing is an okay thing and then you can re-engage those things when you're ready stretching yourself too thin is not a healthy way to live spiritually physically or emotionally alma teaches us that awesome so let's go the recap zarahemla has some problems but he teaches them calls them to repentance goes over to gideon they're righteous, you know, he's on a spiritual high, comes back to Zarahemla, takes a little break, goes to Melek. Melek great, has a great success. People repent, people get baptized. So he's kind of on the spiritual high. He enters into Ammonihah from uh, the north of Ammonihah. And I mention that just because interesting, something interesting happens when he goes from the south. But he enters from the north and they, it says Satan had gotten great hold upon their hearts. Just a side note here, I don't want to spend too much time on, is the the use here of the Satan grabbing hold of their hearts and the importance of the heart. Think back to Alma 5 and Alma 4 and uh, talking about the bearing down of pure testimony and that it's about changing hearts and go back to Mosiah 5 and Mosiah 18 and the change of heart in Mosiah 27 and being born again. If Satan has great hold of your heart, you can't you can't be given... Christ's heart, right? You can't be given his heart, a new heart. Um, And so, but it says, nevertheless, Alma labored much in the spirit, wrestling with God in mighty prayer. Mighty prayer. I love that language because it, it teaches me that I need to pray 
prayer takes effort. That's what it teaches me. Prayer is not just an easy thing that you just willy-nilly talk, say something, and then it's done, and then it, no. True prayer costs something from us. President uh, or Elder Joseph B. Worland said, May I ask you today to consider the effectness, effectiveness of your prayers. How close do you feel to your Heavenly Father? Do you feel that your prayers are answered? Do you feel that the time you spend in prayer enriches and uplifts your soul? Is there room for improvement? Prayers do not demand much of your thought. Prayers that do not demand much of your thought will hardly merit much attention from our Heavenly Father. When you find yourself getting into a routine with your prayers, step back and think, meditate for a while on uh, on the things of, for which you really are grateful. Prayer is meant to be work. This is, comes from the Bible Dictionary. As soon as we learn the true relationship in which we stand toward God, namely, God is our Father and we are His children, then at once prayer becomes natural and instinctive on our part. Many of the so-called difficulties about prayer arise from forgetting this relationship. Prayer is the act by which the will of the Father and the will of the child are brought into correspondence with each other. The object of prayer is not to change the will of God, but to secure for ourselves and for others blessings that God is already willing to grant, but that are made conditional on our asking for them. Blessings require some work or effort on our part before we can obtain them. Prayer is a form of work and is and is an appointed means for obtaining the highest of all blessings. But it's work. And I love that it says, he labored uh, much in the spirit, wrestling with God in mighty prayer. There's some very good descriptor words there uh, about how our prayers uh, should be and can be most effective. So then I already told you about his meeting with the angel. But what I want to say is, he didn't just see an angel because an angel wanted to show up to him. He had labored, not, okay, pause before I even say this. Laboring much in spirit and wrestling with God in mighty prayer does not guarantee you have a, you're going to have see an angel. But I will posit that it will probably increase the likelihood because you will be more spiritually prepared. Uh, and again, I've mentioned this in the past, seeing an angel is not as important as receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and receiving the spirit. And so I, I will definitely say that wrestling with uh, much in the spirit, uh, laboring much in the spirit and wrestling with God in mighty prayer is a prerequisite to receiving the Holy Ghost into your life every day. So, but I, I wanted to point out that we, he sees this angel, but that's only after this, this work, this effort, this labor. If we want true conversion, if we want an added measure of the spirit in our life, it's that work that comes. It precedes that miracle. Our faith and our effort precede the miracle. Um, and this is also someone who, he's, as he, let's jump over to verse 26. This is later, he's already met Amulek, but he says, can you give me food? Because he'd been fasting many days. So he'd been praying and fasting and then had this spiritual experience where the, an angel appears to him and confirms his faith and says, you are blessed. That's something all of us can get. That's something I think all of us want, right? Is to know that we're on the right track, to know that the Lord approves of our efforts. Just like Moroni in Ether 27 or Ether 12 verse 37 that I read earlier. And that's something we can all have. But it it doesn't just come. It comes prayer and fasting. And then the angel comes and says, and or, or the spirit comes and the, or the word of the Lord comes and says, well done, you're doing great. You're on the right path. I love you. I support you. Even though it's hard, I'm here. 
We can all have that. So he says, the angel says to him, go back. And he goes back and the word that he uses is he returned speedily, drops it. Now that was a great lesson from Alma, right? It probably wasn't his favorite thing in the world to have to go back to these people who just rejected him and kicked him out of the city and said, hey, we know who you are. We don't respect you. You don't respect your authority. But he immediately goes back. He enters in from a different way, which is important because when he enters in through this way, Amulek is now waiting for him at that entrance. And Amulek sees him and says, thou art the man that I've seen in a vision. If he would have come that way from the beginning, he might have missed Amulek. The Lord is in charge of the time. The Lord is in charge of our deliverances and the timing of our deliverances and the miracles and when they occur in our life. And they happen that way for a reason, for our benefit and gain. Second Nephi 26, the Lord does all things for the benefit of the world, for he loveth the world. He loves you. He loves me. And as his hand is in our life and we trust him and we are obedient, all things can work together for our gain. All right, so Alma meets Amulek. Uh, we'll talk... I'll talk a little bit more about his experience and from Amulek's perspective as we get into chapter 10. But what we know about Amulek is he was basically a less active member of the church, essentially. That's And there's a great talk that I'll mention uh, that I highly recommend you read this week called Learn from Alma, Alma and Amulek, October 2016. Um, and it's from then President Uchtdorf. So highly recommend you read that story. So Alma stays with Amulek, blesses his family, and then the voice of the Lord comes to Alma and says, get Amulek, you're both going to preach. Then at the end of the chapter, Mormon um, tells us, like, hey, and they had power given unto them. He kind of summarizes what's going to happen through the next few chapters and that they were in prison and that they couldn't be killed. And but it says that uh, they were bound in bands and cast into prison. Now this was done that the Lord might show forth his power in them. Remember back in Mosiah chapter 24, verse six or 14, 20, Mosiah 24, 14. This is to Alma's dad. The Lord says, I will ease the burdens which are put upon your shoulders that even you cannot feel them upon your backs, even while you're in bondage. And this I will do that ye may stand as witnesses for me hereafter, that ye may know of a surety that I, the Lord God, do visit my people in their afflictions. So, similar type of thing here. Alma's going to experience his own refiner's fire. The Lord, it was, and as Mormon tells us, this was done that the Lord might show forth his power in them. It's going to confirm Alma and Amulek's faith in the Lord because they will see that he, he supported them in their trial, but it's also going to be a witness to other people. He's going to show forth their power in them. The way, the best way the Lord can do that is by, through afflictions. When we go through trials and we bear with patience, like the scripture I read from Alma 17, we can show forth our examples to people. When life's nice and easy and fine and dandy, it's, 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 this is the story of Job in the Old Testament. The Lord, Satan says to Job, or to, to the Lord in the, in, in the beginning of the book of Job. Of course, Job's so great. You've blessed him and he has a, a cushy life. Let me, let me add him. Let me do some things and uh, see how he does. And then all of the trials of Job unfold and Job remains faithful. The reason this, the whole book of Job is a thing is because Job remained faithful in hard times. 
it wouldn't be a great story if the story of Job was he had all these this family and he had all this land and all these cattle and all this livestock and he was filthy rich and everything was good and he never had any problems and he was righteous. That wouldn't be a great story. That wouldn't be something we learn from because you can't even you can't relate to that. It's not real life. But when real life happened to Job and real mortal mortal issues and trials and challenges and death and sickness and loss of income and loss of friends. When that happens, what did Job do? He stayed faithful. That's why we look at the book of Job and say, what a great story. That's why we look at the Job, the man and say, what a great example. And so that's what the Lord's, uh, what Mormon accurately says the purpose of Alma and Amulek's trials are is so that the Lord, so that the people around could point at them and say, look at them. Even through hard times, they continued to point to the God of Abraham and the God of Jacob and the God of Isaac. And I didn't do that in the right order, but still applies. All right. Chapter nine, they go back in Ammonihah. The people immediately recognize Alma and say, come on, man. They, uh, who are you? And why would, and who's, and they say something else. They said, and who is God that sendeth no more authority than one man? This question, who is God? Remember King Noah? Remember he asked that same question. Didn't turn out too great for him. Remember Pharaoh in Exodus uh, chapter 5, verse 2? Yeah, he asked the same question. Didn't turn out great for him either. These people who don't recognize a prophet of the Lord can't recognize the Lord. When President Nelson tells us to hear him, one of the greatest things that we can do is to hear the voice of his prophet and and his servants. That means recognizing his servants as such. And as we recognize his servants, we can recognize him. And so we don't ask, who is God? So now they did, they mean, they're incredulous, right? But they also have a legal foundation for this. We can learn from the Old Testament some about the Book of Mormon, probably, and we can make some inferences that if they're living the law of Moses which they would have been living. They had the brass plates and they claimed to be living the law of Moses, at least. You, for, a, for a claim that Alma had brought to, to, to them and, and claiming that they were uh, apostates, they would need more than one witness. So we'll get into that as, and you'll see that they are flabbergasted when there is another witness. But that's one of the reasons they say, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You only have, uh, you only have one witness here? Who are you? Get out of here with that. Um, and as I, I actually want to backtrack just a second because I saw in my notes something I, I wanted to make sure I said that I talk about that I didn't. And that's back in, so in talking about being an example in hard times, uh, who, who can you reach? What's your circle of influence and what light can you share? Because whether it's a personal challenge that you're going through and people know that you're going through, they're going to look to see how you're reacting. Or maybe it's a societal issue. And how are you responding? And how are you treating people? How are you treating people whose opinions differ than yours? Uh, summarizing uh, something that Elder Cook has said, you know, we live in a world where it, it's more important that our opinions are heard than we are charitable to other people. You know, if, if someone's opinion differs from you on social media, how do you respond to that? Do you ignore it? Do you attack them back? Do you respectfully 
state your restate your position. I'm not saying one. I'm not saying that ignoring them is right or wrong. I'm not saying that uh, reengaging with them is right or wrong. You have to know what's what's best in each situation. But how are you? The, the important thing is how are you treating other people? Whether that's, I mean, again, social media or not, your own personal trials or societal issues or whatever, we all have a light to bear. And it, when, when there's darkness through our, in, in our own trials or, uh, cultural issues, when that, that, when that darkness is around, our light can shine brighter so long as we are being obedient and the Lord can use us to, as an example, to show forth his power. All right. Chapter nine. So, um, in verses eight through 14, Alma pounds something over and over. It seems he talked, he talks about forgetting and remembrance. It's all about remembering, remember, remember, remember. That's what he pounds him with. And he says in verse 14, now I would that you should remember that inasmuch as the Lamanites have not kept the commandments of God, they have been cut off. Well, why go back to verse 13. Behold, do you not remember the words which he spake, he being the Lord, unto Lehi, saying, Inasmuch as you shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land. And then he reverses that and says, And again it is said, Inasmuch as you will not keep my commandments, ye shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. That's why the Lamanites have been cut off, because they didn't keep the commandments. One of the reasons I love Alma and that, uh, is that he uses uh, a literary tool called parallelism, where he says one thing and then does state restates it in the exact opposite way to highlight a truth. I love that because I love absolutes and the Lord works in absolutes. Satan works in the gray areas. Satan mingles some truth with some doctrine of men. The Lord says, you are either with me or against me. The Lord says, you keep the commandments and you're blessed. Well, what's the opposite of that? You don't keep the commandments and you're not blessed or cut off in this case, or is the words that we're told. I love, I love that language and I love that style because you can learn a lot by looking at those types of things and then doing it, doing it yourself and saying, okay, well, what's the exact opposite of this? Cause that's also a truth. So anyway, I love that. And as you read Alma's writings, he does this quite frequently where he says one thing and then immediately after flips it. One of the main uh, principles or concepts, I guess, of chapter nine is Alma saying to the people of Ammonai, look, the people in the Lamanites, they're going to be fine. The Lord is going to give them time to repent because they're wicked, not because of they're choosing really to be, but because the traditions of their fathers that's led them to where they are. Uh, and you, and we see throughout the book of Mormon, all the chances that the Lord gives the Lamanites to repent. Uh, Alma's buddies, Ammon and his brothers go and re and claim, reclaim a bunch of them. Right. But Alma's point is you're not in as good a place because you've had the truth and you've rejected it. And he says in verse 23, And now behold, I say unto you that if this people who have received so many blessings from the hand of the Lord should transgress contrary to the light and knowledge which they have, I say if this is the case, that if they should fall into transgression, it would be far more tolerable for the Lamanites than for them. This is what we're judged upon. We're judged upon the light and knowledge that we have. Not our fathers. It's us. And it's up to us to gain that light. But then 
we are judged based upon the light that we were given. I want to tie this to something else that Alma teaches in chapter 12, and I'm going to talk more about that later because it applies later and I have some other thoughts about it, but connecting it to this, in chapter 12, he he teaches basically the principle that if you receive the light, you get more light, and if you reject it, you get less and less. Let's talk about that. I want to talk about that from a, a mercy standpoint. Why would the Lord decrease your light if you reject the light that you have? Because he doesn't even want, he doesn't want you to even stay status quo of the light that you have. He'd rather you have less light because that allows him to judge you more mercifully. Why does he give more light to those who already have light? Because they've shown that they are worthy of the light that they have. And he can trust them with more. But if you reject that light, he doesn't want you to even stay, he doesn't want to give you more. He doesn't even want you to keep it the same light. You rest, and, and that's the principle, right? It's And I, we read this in multiple places in the scripture, that if we reject it, we don't just stay where we're at. No, what we have is even taken from us. But that's a merciful thing. And when the time comes for a judgment, and again, keep this in mind that as he's teaching these people, and as we, he teaches the people in chapter 12, he's teaching them about the, the plan of salvation, which includes the judgment. And it's merciful. The Lord is merciful to his children. If he kept us and just said, here's the light you had, and you got it, you had it forever and ever and ever, and I'm going to judge you against that light, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be great for a lot of people. He wants to be as merciful as possible. It'll, it allows mercy to take to take hold. Uh, Alma prophesies the utter destruction. He says the word utter or utterly. He says it twice to the people of Ammonihai, saying you're going to be utterly destroyed, complete annihilation here. That prophecy is fulfilled in chapter 16. Um, just something to point out that here's a prophet prophesying, and what prophets prophesy happened. Remember back Mosiah, uh, Abinadi said, hey, don't if you don't repent, you're going to come into captivity. They didn't repent. So then we came back. It was, hey, not only are you going to be in captivity, but you're going to suffer death. And the people who repented quick, more quickly, the people who softened their own hearts, they were in, kept, were in bondage, Alma and his people. And the people who didn't, Limhi, Noah and his people, they were in captivity and saw lots of death. When a prophet prophesies, that prophecy happens because whether it's by the voice of the servant of the Lord or by the Lord himself, it is the same. And the Lord's words are always fulfilled. Uh, another thing I love here, Alma chapter, or verse 26 in chapter 9, as he uses not many days hence. Back last week, talked about in chapter 7, uh, not many days hence or not far distant. The Lord's timing is different than our time. Another one of my favorite talks is uh, from Elder Kyle S. McKay on this topic. Uh, I think April 2019 is when he gave that address. But we need to understand that the Lord delivers us and things are fulfilled always, but always in his time. And his time is different than our timing. Uh, Chapter 9 ends with Alma basically summarizing what he what Mormon taught us in chapter three and Alma had taught in, in various ways in chapter five, that basically we reap what we sow. So, so, so we reap what we sow. And he's telling the people of Ammonihah, you're not sowing great seed. And so what you're going to reap is destruction. So moving to chapter 10, we're now introduced to more of who Amulek is. Uh, one thing we learn here is that Lehi descended from Manasseh, uh, which then leads us to believe that 
Ishmael descended from Ephraim because we, the Book of Mormon prophesies that Ephraim and Manasseh is grow together. It's the Book of Mormon, and so if if uh, Lehi was Manasseh, then someone else had to be Ephraim. Anyway, just interesting side note there that this is this is we learned some of the genealogy of Lehi back in chapter five of First Nephi. We learned a little bit more of it here as Amulek tells his lineage and he's saying, I'm a descendant of Nephi. So, uh, the thing is this, another reason for him doing that is he's laying out his reputation and he's saying, look, a lot of you people know me. Here's my lineage. I'm a man of no small reputation. He's a wealthy man. So what that does is now that establishes him as a reputable second witness, because now he's about to start to testify and support what Alma has said. And in verse 12, it says, Now when Amulek had spoken these words, the people began to be astonished, seeing there was more than one witness who testified of the things whereof they were accused. Alma had accused them of something in in uh, the religious law. Now a second witness had testified. So now, now it's a legal, now it's a legal accusation, basically. Whereas with just one witness, it wasn't. Alma or Amulek is a very interesting character. He he says that uh, I I never have known much of the ways of the Lord and His mysteries and marvelous power. I said I had I had never known much of these things, but behold, I mistake, for I have seen much of the, His mysteries and His marvelous power. Yet even in the preservation of the lives of this people, nevertheless, I did harden my heart. I was called many times, and I would not hear. So we can see things plainly but if we but we have the choice to recognize them uh, also another thing that's important here is that the Lord kept calling him uh, the Lord knew Amulek's uh, heart and kept calling we as members of the church can do the same for our for our brothers and sisters around us who have lost their path on their way. Keep calling, keep asking, keep inviting. Um, President Uchtdorf in his talk, Learn from Alma and Amulek, basically says, you know, we need, to pull, we need to put ourselves in the shoes of Alma and Amulek and say, how can we be like Alma and how are we like Amulek? And who around us are the Amuleks that we can call on to come and be a second witness for us? to support us and become our friends and, and be in full fellowship uh, and receive the full blessings of the gospel. So now the cross-examination begins. Uh, a bunch of the learned people are around now. They have a second witness. So now they're going to try to question this witness. And Amulek starts to teach them about repentance and calling calls them to repentance. Something powerful, I think, that applies to our day, especially, you know, you're living in the United States of America right now, and you've got civil unrest and COVID-19 still going on, and just angst and anxiety, and says, and I say unto you that if it were not for the prayers of the righteous who are now in the land, that they would even now be visited with utter destruction. Why did it not, why was Ammonihah not already destroyed? Because of the prayer of the righteous. The prayer of the righteous is powerful. This is another. This is taught throughout the Book of Mormon in, in several places. One place is uh, in Alma chapter sixty-two. the The effect of the prayers of the righteous can have an 
immense effect on any nation, on any people. And what we see in this story of the Ammonihaites is that in chapter 14, they kill all the righteous people, all the women and children. They kick all the righteous men out. Now the righteous are no longer there. And what happens in chapter 16, I told you already, utter destruction, complete, like the city doesn't even exist anymore. And it's so bad that people don't even want to live even near it because the stench of all the dead people and and what happened there. And it becomes known, uh, as the desolation of Nehor's because they were after the order of Nehor back. You remember our, 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 our great pal who brought in priestcraft. So, yeah, I mean it, the prayer of the, but the, what, what stayed that off was the prayer of the righteous. Our prayers that when, when we treat them as work, right, and we have sincerity in them, can have a mighty effect not only in our lives, but the lives of those around us. All right, so as we move into chapter 11, I want to get to chapter 11. The last thing I'm just going to note about chapter 10 is that Amulek raises his hand and rebukes them and says, stretch forth his hand and crying them unto the mightier, saying, oh, ye wicked and perverse and a generation. Anyway, the, the raising of the hand, Moses is this something Moses did, is something that Abinadi did. This is a, a symbol of of great rebuke, basically. Uh, but there is there's some meaning to that, and it's just interesting to, to point out. All right, chapter eleven. We're we're in this flow, right? We've got Alma talking, teaching them that they're not the Lamanites are in a better position than them, and then flows into Amulek saying, "Look, I'm." You know me. I'm a second witness. You guys are bad. You need to repent. Some cross-examination and um, the, the lawyers say, hey, he's speaking against our law. And he's like, no, I'm speaking. I'm using the law against you. So you're kind of in this flow of this cross-examination, this discussion back and forth between the lawyers and Alman Amulek. And then Mormon takes 20 verses to explain to us their financial system. So you got to ask yourself, why would he do that? Now, there might be more than one reason, but one reason that I can think of is that when the, when Mormon goes back to the story, we're now introduced really to Zeezrom, and Zeezrom uh, immediately offers Amulek a bunch of money. And how do we know it's a bunch of money? Well, we know it's a bunch of money because Mormon took the time to explain how much it was. What it amounts to is 42 days worth of labor for a judge. Um, you can trust me on that. I also looked up some other people who did, who did the math. You can go through and there's enough in there that you can say like, okay, this equals this, this equals this, this equals this. And he offered him six of these, which is this, but anyway, math, maths. Um, so anyway, that's one reason I can think of is just so that Mormon can underscore how much money Zeezrom offered him. And Almulek immediately sees through it and says, why would you even try to tempt me, child of hell? Do you believe there is a God? And Alma, Amulek, Alma and Amulek have this great power given to them in this time of to discern the thoughts of those questioning them. And Amulek says, no, I know that you know that there is a God, but you just love that lucre. And I, when I, I love, if you haven't seen the Book of Mormon uh, video that the church has for this section, I love it um, because the character Amulek in the scene points specifically at the six ties of silver that Zeezrom is holding out to give to him. And he says, you love that lucre more than you love God. Not just like lucre and money in general and all the money that you could possibly get, but you love 42 days worth of money 
more than you love God. So Amulek calls Zezrim out and says, you're a liar. And then he tries, Amulek uh, then begins to ask some more questions, trying to trip Amulek up. So he says, is there a God? Yes, there is. Is there more than one God? No, there's not. Um, how do you know these things? I saw an angel. That's it. He says, he's straight up. I, that's how I know. Uh, and Zeezrom said again, uh, is the one that's coming, is he the son of God? Yes, he is. So now, and then Zeezrom says, all right, will he save the people in their sins? And Amulek just says, no. And Zeezrom now thinks he's got him. He's got him in a trap. He says, all right, you said that there's one God, but somehow that God is going to have a son, but that son of God isn't also God. So is there, you said there's only one God, but the son, wouldn't the son of God also be a God, be God? And also you, you said that he's not going to come and save them. That's what I thought everyone was saying. I thought all the prophets said that he was going to come and save. And I mean, like, I mean, this is a, this, this is a smart guy, Zezrim, right? He, he pulls the things right out of Amulek's mouth and then tries to spin what it means. And Amulek catches him in that and says, nope, I did say that, but that's not what it means. You asked me if he could save them in their sins. No, they can't. And he quotes here or alludes to what it seems like. First Nephi fifteen thirty three, when he says, for I cannot deny his word, and he saith that no unclean thing can inherit the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, how can ye be saved except ye inherit the kingdom of heaven? Therefore, ye cannot be saved in your sins. Now, Zeezrom saith unto him, Is the Son of God the very eternal Father? And Amulek said unto him, Yea, he is the very eternal Father of heaven and earth. And Amulek goes on to explain, again, how uh, Christ is the son and the father. Go back to uh, Mosiah 15. We, we read about that. And in verse 40, he tells us that he's going to come into the world to redeem his people, and he shall take upon him the transgressions of those who believe on his name. So this is from the Institute Manual. It says, there's often misunderstanding in Alma 1140. Some people have thought that Amulek was teaching that Christ suffered only for those who believe and repent. This is not correct. The scriptures tell us that the Savior suffered the pains of all men, yea, the pains of every living creature, both men and women and children. If mankind will not repent, however, the Savior indicates that my blood shall not cleanse them. That's from section 29 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Clearly, Amalek was intending to, con- to convey this fact, that the atonement in part may go unused when the wicked choose not to repent. Not that the Savior only suffered for those who would repent. And we learn that, another, another place actually we learn that is in Mosiah 15, that he suffered for his seed. Well, he suffered for everyone, but who get who gets who's the atoning blood applied to? The people who accept him. Um, and for his name's sake, we can read that in Isaiah chapter forty-eight or First Nephi twenty. And this is consistent with teaching from the New Testament as well. Hebrews ten twenty-six says, "For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth." No more sacrifice for sins. Christ still did it, but it's as if the the sacrifice wasn't for us because we rejected it. Alma in chapter 12 uh, alludes to this as well when he says, Then I say unto you, 
They shall be as though there had been no redemption made. As though. Still redemption, but it'll be as if, because if you reject it, that's what it's like. For they cannot be redeemed according to God's justice, and they cannot die, seeing there is no more corruption. So Alma seconds what uh, Amulek teaches here. Amulek then teaches us about the resurrection beautifully. Um, he, he uses this phrase, the bands of death, and I'm going to talk about that here uh, in just a moment. Um, but he uh, then talks about our physical resurrection, that Christ came to loose the bands of this temporal death, that all shall be raised temporal, from this temporal death. That's a beautiful truth that the Book of Mormon teaches us. In this chapter, here are some of the things that I have written down that we can learn uh, about the resurrection from just this chapter. Uh, Everyone receives a physical resurrection. Um, The wicked, it's as though there was no redemption made, but we still they still receive a physical resurrection. Uh, our our physical resurrection and being reunited with our body and from, from verse 43 seems to hint that that sharpens or increases our knowledge. Uh, it uh, perfect, It's going to be a perfect uh, body. It happens before the judgment. We read that we learn that from verse uh, 44. So those are just some of the things I wrote down that we can learn from this chapter alone about the physical uh, resurrection. Uh, last thing is. Um, oh, so as he's talking, Amulek, and he's teaching these things, he's focused on what? The atonement and its powers and its effects and the resurrection specifically. Keep that in mind. Last thing I want to mention is just the language that he uses. Remember, he's talking to an attorney. He's talking to a lawyer, a liar. And he says, they shall be brought and arraigned before the bar of the of Christ, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, which is one eternal God, to be judged according to their works. And that's always just been interesting to me that he's talking to an attorney in this language that he uses is very legal type, you know, arraigned, uh, judgment bar. Uh, So anyway, okay, back to what I just said, though. And that is, what is he teaching him about the resurrection, about the power of the atonement? And chapter 12, Amulek picks up. And in this this chapter, we see the sudden shift from what Zeezrom was like to what he... It becomes in verse seven, he uh, trembled more exceedingly, which means they saw him trembling before. So they see that he's like physically changing, right? And then in verse eight, it says that he, Zeezrom began to inquire of them diligently. So before the the questions were not diligent, the questions were set and laid. In in verse six, Almach tells him, "I say unto you, all that was a snare of the adversary. He was setting snares and traps for Alma and Amulek." But in this chapter, Zeezrom changes. What what causes this change? The teaching of the plan of salvation, the teaching of the of the atonement, the teaching of the resurrection. So Alma then picks up and uh, establishes the words of the Amulek. Something we can do if you're a parent. What are you being unified in our teaching? Uh, direct instruction is important. That needs th- those things need to happen in the home. Oftentimes we think that examples are the only way to go. Yes, we're very important, but direct instruction is also important. And having a unified companionship as of, of parents to then testify of, of what the other parent has taught or uh, is teaching in the home is very important. And in verse six, like I said, Alma talks about the snares that he was laying. And the, what was the snare? It was about 
bringing them to subjection and, and bondage, but it was to and, and rage the people, you know, turn the people against Alma and Amulek. Remember, Zeezrom turned in chapter 11. As you read, study chapter 11, you'll, as you read this back and forth between Alma and Amulek, Zeezrom turns to the people and says, hey, look at what he just said, everyone. It was all about this anger. Go back to Alma 1 and 2 with Nehor and Amlesai and stirring up to anger the people. That's what Zeezrom and these lawyers are trying to do. That's the, uh, and when I, when I see, now when I think about it that way and I see the word snare of the devil and the adversary, what does he try to do? He tries to get us conflict, right? Contention and anger and stirred up to anger, one with another. That's what Zeezrom was trying to do. That's the work of the adversary. So I'm going to go back again to what I was talking about, holding up our light and how we treat people. Are we adding to the stirring up of anger? Or are we preaching the gospel of peace and love? Because if we do the first, if we do the former, and we're, we're adding to the contention, then we're the children of the devil, and we are his. But if we're doing the, the latter, and we're teaching the gospel of peace and love, and inviting those around us to repent and come under Christ, then we are the ch- we uh, are with Him and are are His people. Okay, so I told you I was going to come back to Alma teaching um, that they will harden they that will harden their hearts to them is given a lesser portion of the word, right? And uh, in verse ten it says the same receiveth the lesser portion of the word, and he that will not harden his heart to him is given a greater portion. So I, I wanted to come back to that. So I talked about it already in the mercy related to that, but I wanted to also point out, remember who he's talking to? Zeezrom. Remember the shift that's happened in Zeezrom that's visible and he sees it. And also the spirit of discernment that Alma has. He's speaking now to Zeezrom. Other people can hear and other people are listening and other people are converted and other people believe and get baptized and read that later in the story. But he's talking to Zeezrom. He sees a sudden shift and now he says to Zeezrom, you got it. I see it. Hold on to that light. And as you hold on to that light, you can get more. And it, to me, it's this one-on-one personal message that Alma gives to Zeezrom of hope. Like, I see it in your eyes now, man. I see it. Keep it. You can You can have it. Even you. You, you were just like these, all these other people, but in an instant, you're not. Keep going. Uh, and, and so, like I said, to me, it's just this like kind of personal, I mean, it's, it works in, in the flow of what they're teaching, it, it, everything, right? It fits in. But to me, I just got that as I was studying this week, I got this like, he's I'm like almost stepped out of, out of that flow and like makes eye contact with Zezrum. And like, as I'm imagining it and it's like, I see you, man, you want some hope. Here's some hope for you. Hold on to that light and you can have more light. But then as he goes on and teaches and he says, uh, a phrase that says, now this is what is meant by the chains of hell. Well, what's meant by the chains of hell? He connects that to the people who reject the, the portion that they have until they have nothing and nothing less and less. Ignorance is darkness. Being Having no light, that, that's the chains of hell that bind us down. Um, and in Psalms chapter 18, verse 5, in the King James Version, it says, the sorrows of hell compassed me about uh, the snares of death prevented me. Um, so I mentioned that I was going to talk about the uh, 
the word, the phrase that Amulek used, the bands of death. So the, 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 a better translation from the Hebrew of the snares of death from Psalms 18.5 is actually the bands of death. So the, it comes from this Hebrew verse. What's interesting is there are only a few people who say uh, the bands of death in the Book of Mormon. And apparently you have to have an A name to do it. You got to be named Alma because he says the bands of death in several times in uh, chapter four, chapter five of Alma and several other places. Uh, you got to be named Abinadi. He says it. You got to be named Ammon. He says it. Or you got to be named Amulek. The only person who says it, whose name doesn't start with an A, is Moroni in chapter 10 at the very end of, of the Book of Mormon. Um, but what's kind of cool about this is Abinadi is the first one that we have that says the bands of death. And then, and what we learned from his dissertation is he was a well-educated, probably uh, priest high, uh, of, and, and, know, and knew the scriptures. So he says the, this phrase, to who? Who heard him say that? Well, Alma the Older. And so who are the people who say it? Well, Alma's son, Alma says it. Uh, Ammon, who's Alma's friend, says it. Amulek, who is Alma's friend, says it. So they, you can kind of see this connection with f- this familial collection, or familial connection from Alma the Older teaching it to his son, probably, who then Ammon hears it from him and Amulek hears it from him, and so they use it. But then also, uh, Alma's using the phrase, uh, the chains of hell. Interesting to note. That same chapter, Psalms 18, verse 5, it says the sorrows of hell. And actually, the but uh, another or better translation from the Hebrew is actually the chains of hell. So this this verse is, seems to be what they are referencing. So just kind of a cool connection to the Hebrew that they would have had in their uh, in the brass plates, right? And in their studies of, of this that leads them to speak in this specific way. All right, verses 12 through 14. I'm, I'm already over an hour. I failed again, but it's all right. I'm getting close to the end. We're going to wrap up. Uh, what do we judge for? We're judged according to our words, works, and thoughts. Uh, President Oaks said this. He said, the prophet Nephi describes the final judgment in terms of what we have become. And if their works have been works of filthiness, they must needs be filthy. And if they be filthy, it must needs be that they cannot dwell in the kingdom of God. Moroni declares, he that is filthy shall be filthy still. And he that is righteous shall be righteous still. Uh, The same would be true of selfish or disobedient or any other personal attribute inconsistent with the requirements of God. Referring to the state of the wicked in the final judgment, Alma explains that if we are to be conde- we are condemned by our words, works, and thoughts, we shall not be found spotless, and in this awful state we shall not dare to look up to our God. From such teachings, we can conclude the final judgment is not just an evaluation of some of a sum total of good and evil acts that we have done; it is an acknowledgment of the final effect of our acts and thoughts, uh, what we have become. It is not enough for anyone to. Just go through the motions. The commandments, ordinances, and covenants of the gospel are not lists of deposits required to be made in heaven, some heavenly account. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a plan that shows us how to become what our Heavenly Father desires us to become. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a plan that shows us how to become what our Heavenly Father desires us to become. And I want to go back to President Oaks uh, from the last conference that I read at the beginning of this episode. What do we need to understand? We need to understand the plan of salvation. 
And as we understand the plan of salvation, it makes sense that our words and uh, works and thoughts judge us. It's who we are and who we become. C.S. Lewis, to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, he said, the, the reason that repentance and change is so important is because one small flaw now may not be major, and it may not become an issue in 80 years or 90 years of a, of a lifetime. But given an eternity, it would put us so far off course that we would be uh, unworthy to be in the presence of God. And so it's who we are becoming and what we our trajectory. And the only way that we can be purified is through the blood of the Lamb, through Jesus Christ and through the atonement and by understanding the plan of salvation. So without cutting too much, because I do want to end and I'm trying to be a little shorter here. I have some more for chapter 12, but to, what I want to end with is this. As you study this week, and especially studying chapter 12, uh, I also I encourage you to actually read chapter 13 this week and maybe read it again next week too. But the what Alma teaches about the priesthood and the and the preexistence in chapter 13 uh, goes hand in hand with what he cha- teaches in chapter 12. Uh, he teach, starts teaching about the judgment. He teaches about resurrection and uh, eternal life and immortality that no and that you can't die again. And one of the judges stands up and says, hey, what about when Adam and Eve fell and the Lord stuck a cherubim and a flaming sword so they couldn't take the forbidden fruit so that they couldn't live forever? So that can't be true. We learned from Adam and Eve, you can't live forever. And so Alma then teaches them about Adam and Eve and the fall. He teaches them about the the atonement and repentance and the plan so I encourage you, this is what I want to end with. I encourage you as you study chapter 12 and chapter 13, whether it's this week or next week, to look for similarities between what Alma is teaching and the temple. There are heavy, heavy undertones and similarities with what we are taught in the temple and with what Alma is teaching. And there's a reason for that. What are we endowed with when we go to the temple? Alma's hinting at that. It's, it's the power that we need to get through this life and to enter into the next, right? Obviously. But I invite you as you study this week and as hopefully things start to open up again and temples are opened again, chapter 12 and 13 are excellent chapters to study as you prepare to go to the temple or when you're sitting in the celestial room even to pick up one of the copies of the Book of Mormon they have. Uh, there are heavy undertones and it it like i said it, it testifies to me of the truthfulness of and the eternal nature of what we're taught in the temple and of the power of god and of the plan of salvation and of the atonement of jesus christ um so I, that's uh just i want to go through my notes and i'm just as i'm closing up and just Make sure I shared what I want to share a little longer than I wanted to be again. But just in closing, I want to share my testimony of the plan of salvation and, and uh, especially of Jesus Christ's role and, and responsibility in that. We can uh, be redeemed because of him. All will be resurrected because of him. But if we choose to follow him, we can uh, receive eternal life. But Importantly to us now in our day and in, in our mortality, 
we can receive support and peace and happiness. And like I said, those two themes, those are the two themes that I picked up on this week from these chapters is the plan of salvation and that the Lord supports his people through challenging times. And the way that he does that, and you go back to Alma chapter 7 and what he talked about, what the atonement covers and encompasses and, and is, you know, it's it's for us for now and for the eternity. It's for us to get through hard times and be cha- and, and be supported so that he can succor us in our need, in our time of, of distress. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you haven't already, join our Facebook group. Come follow me, Disciples Journey. Try to have some discussions in there. If you'd like to email me directly, uh, Webster at gmail.com. Several of you already have, and I'll reply right back to you. Um, but again, I thank you all for listening. For my listeners in or around these areas, shout out to you. Holbrook, Arizona, uh, Mountain Lake Terrace, Washington, Grand Prairie, Texas, and Clarksburg, West Virginia. I appreciate you joining from all over uh, the United States and all over the world, really. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk next week.